Hello, this is your host, Heidi Marble. I sound a little froggy today, so sorry about that in advance, but I'm just so excited to be here finally with Jenny Becknell. Jenny has been corresponding with me, I think it's like 10 months now. She has just been a source of strength and support, sending encouraging messages. Before we start our conversation, we just want to give a little disclaimer that both of us say birth mother and we are not intending to be hurtful with that. So just know that we are aware there's other language that might be preferable. But if we reference it that way, I at least Jenny, I don't know about you, but it, I, I want to blame my age. So we're going we're gonna to go with that. What I would like to do, though, is I would really like to read part of Jenny's submission, and then also she compiled the best introduction. So we're going to start with that and then get into a really great conversation. This is the message I got from her. I do not know what to say or how to explain how much I connect with everyone on this podcast. I am a birth mother with a 29-year-old daughter who I made an open adoption plan with in 1992. My daughter and I are very close. We have had a very open adoption starting from birth where I kept her in the room with me and slept with her at night. I left the hospital with her adoptive parents and welcomed her into their home. My daughter's birth father is still a part of her life as well, and we all have a relationship. I have watched as my daughter struggled over the years, even though she had birth parents in her life, as well as wonderful adoptive parents that welcomed her into their family. I have made comments over the years about how my precious sweet girl has had no say in her life. All the decisions were made by others about who she would be. She had no power. Sorry. Darn it. I'm already crying. I have sought out understanding of her as well as her mom, especially since my daughter turned 18 and could determine for the first time if she would choose on her own to maintain a relationship with me. I went on to marry when she was three, and I have four sons with my husband. Her birth father met her when she was five, and I was able to be there for that meeting. Her mom and I had a very loving, respectful, and close relationship until Anna turned 18, and it has gone downhill so drastically since that time. It has been absolute devastation for myself and mostly for our girl. We now have a two-year-old granddaughter, and my daughter had a little girl in April of 2020. Wow, Jenny. So much there. So I asked Jenny to send me some information about how she would like to be introduced. And she had a really great idea. She said, you know, I'm going to ask the people that love me. And so what I did is I highlighted the things that really stuck out to me. This is what her husband said about her, a strong woman that wants to make the world a better place. Your daughter, Anna, who you relinquished, said that you're caring, loving, selfless person with a lot of sass, happiness, and love to share. Your oldest son, Austin, said, this is one of the most inspirational people I've ever met. She is strong-willed, loving, and kind. Your son, Blake, 24, never responded, which I think is so funny. (laughs) Um, My son, Colin, 
21 years old, never responded. <laughs> um, I just, I, we had to have some humor in there. My son, Devin, is it Devon or Devin? Devon. Devon. He's 16. And he said, you are someone I trust. And you stated here that he has been in foster care and that you guys are, are adopting him, which my son, Donovan, 16 year old, 16 year old said, you speak your mind when it's necessary. <laughs> I love that too. And then your best friend, Tiffany said, you love your family fiercely and your life revolves around spending time with and building into each and every one of them. And then you added this, Jenny, I love children, exclamation point, exclamation point. I am passionate about parents loving and raising children to find their own passion in life. So many parents try to make their children become the what the parent wants a child to be, mini-me's. Each person has a unique and special gift that only that person can contribute to the world. Each person deserves to be seen, heard, and listened to. I am a strong believer in truth that the truth will set you free. I love and adore my family. I'm a lover of people and I rarely meet a person I don't like. And if I don't like them, it might be my mission to get to know them better. I pray about them or for them until my heart changes. Oh, I love all of that. Jenny, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I really have, you know, like I've shared with you, just have always had such a connection to your show and, I literally could um, sit down and re-listen to every episode. I've listened to every episode. And with every episode, there is um, an aha moment that I have from every single, like I could write down and I even have, I have, I'm a note taker. I love taking notes. And um, I have written people's names down and, and written what really sticks out to me about that person. And, um, and it's interesting, even that a lot of times when I hear things that um, a, an adopted, you know, the, the adopted child will say or adult now, typically, um, I really connect with that, too. So um, I just cannot thank you enough for this show. I have dreamed of something like this and um, just for everyone to be able to come together and to hear other people put words to the feelings that I've had over the years and to know that I'm not crazy because sometimes I just think there's got to be something wrong with me. Like I try so hard to always look at the positive side of everything. And so when you have negative feelings or sadness or hurt or pain where you want to be positive and, um, you don't, you know, I, I don't want to say it out loud all the time. So to hear someone else say it out loud, it just, I don't know. I don't even know the words to describe like what that does, but it just, it's just so comforting to know that um, all this time that I feel like I've just kept certain things about this whole adoption process silent, that um, I'm not the only one that's been feeling that way. And it's just, it makes me just want to cry. I mean, that's, <laughs> You know, that's what it makes me want to do. Like it just, it's like my heart just wants to like cry. You know, I don't know if that makes any no. sense. But. No, it all makes sense, Jenny. And I just want to th say thank you so much because when I first came into the adoption community, it was the first time in my life I was able to be in contact with my real feelings. Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, I've got a big mouth. So when I start healing up, 
I want to get out there and do what I can. So to know that our work here at Pulled by the Root has been helpful, it just means everything to us because that's all we want. We want people to be seen and we want people to be heard and we want a deeper understanding so that that healing can take place. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be, you know, you and I talked before we pressed record that you would be willing to go back to some painful places so that we could really get into the nitty gritty. Can you tell us, first of all, if we can just go back to the decision to relinquish your daughter and where were you at in your life and what can you tell us about that experience? Okay, so I was... uh... 18 years old at the time I was away at college. I was a freshman in college. I was um, at my college on a soccer scholarship. And um, my, at the time that I went away to college, my 16 year old sister had just found out that she was pregnant. So I was away at college. There's uh, seven kids in my family. There's five girls and then the two boys are the youngest. I'm the second oldest daughter. And then my younger sister right underneath me is the one who found out that she was pregnant. So ironically, I was going to college an hour and a half away from where I grew up. And the father of her child was in the same college I was at. So, um, and it was a small college. And um, so anyway, so I was there on a soccer scholarship. Um, I knew no one um, at the college. And I, so I, you know, talked with her child's father, because they were still talking um, at first. Anyway, so through him, I met a guy that I just adored. I had so much fun with this guy. Like, I can't even tell you how much, I mean, still to this day, I adore adore him. Um, And he's my daughter's birth father. And um, we just got along really well. We had so much fun together. I would play soccer. He would, you know, cheer me on. And we dated for about nine months, ironically. And, um, and then I found out I was pregnant and, um, it was soccer season was over, but college wasn't. And, um, my younger sister was in the meantime, my, my parents were just, they did not, they were beside themselves with what they were going to do, um, with my sister and were trying to encourage her to have an adoption with her child. And, um, but I was away at school, so um, didn't really know how all of that was going to go. But I knew I was definitely a people pleaser. I did not have a close relationship with my parents. Um, didn't have a close relationship with my mom. She's still alive. Um, my father passed away a couple years ago. But anyway, um, he was, um, and, I, and I don't mean any disrespect to my father because we did heal a lot in our lives as I got older um, and before he passed away, but we, he was abusive to me physically um, growing up. So um, I really wanted someone to be proud of who I was. I really wanted to, um, it was always seeking attention, um, always seeking attention. I mean, that's what I always heard growing up as I was such an attention seeker, but um, it just, did round off back handsprings all over the yard so that people could just ooh and all ah, this amazing little girl that's doing all these flips and flops all over the place and uh, grew up and became a diver and did flips off the diving board and all of those fun things and went away to you know school for the soccer scholarship because I had played my whole life. 
and um, I loved soccer. So, but anyway, so my sister was pregnant. So there was this additional, there was this additional pressure, I think, on my decision. And I knew what my parents really wanted. And I was away at school. Um, my boyfriend and I had just broken up right before I found out that I was pregnant with her. And so I did go and I did tell him. Um, and he was really happy. And he was like, oh, this is going to be great. We can move into an apartment together and you can go to school during the day and I can go to school at night and, you know, we can work. And, you know, he had a really good like idea, but I knew at 18 years old, like I knew no one other than him where I lived and I was in a dorm. So I was like, what am I really going to do? And what's that really going to look like? And we're broken up and, you know, you're, with other girls, like, I just didn't under, like, I knew that that wasn't really going to work out that way. And so I knew that that was not, I wanted him to want to be with me because he loved me, not because I had a child that was his. And so um, I told my, ultimately, I ended up telling my parents and um, I left college a little bit early and went home. And um I just wanted to make someone else happy. And I went to counseling and um, basically every message that I got from everyone was that I needed to do what was best for my child. And what was best for my child was to give her a two parent family. And that was important to me. I grew up and I had my mom and dad were always together through thick and thin, even through the rough times, they still were together. And so um, that was important to me. I wanted her to have a mom and a dad in the same home that she wasn't being tossed back and forth, um, you know, from one place to another or possibly not having her dad in her life. And that was important to me. And um, so I was just really encouraged by everyone around me that um, that's what I needed to do. And I was I wanted to please people. And I thought, what a I don't think I consciously thought about it at the time. But like, what an opportunity to make my parents proud of me, like maybe for the first time ever that I would make the right decision for my daughter. And the only thing I cared about was her. Like, I did not care about what happened to me. I just wanted her to have the best of everything. And if that meant that I was going to have to have a broken heart for the rest of my life, then that's what was going to happen. And I hoped and prayed that it would be better than that. Um, and, but I knew that I had to know her. I knew that I had to see her. I knew that I could not just um, have a closed adoption where she literally just disappeared. There was no way I could have done that. And so when it was brought to my attention and counseling that there was an, a thing called open adoption where I could still be part of her life um, and that um, there was different degrees of openness. I thought, oh, that would be wonderful. Like I can do the best thing for her by giving her a two parent family and I can still be part of her life. Like that would be so cool. Like I can, you know, still be there and still watch her grow and hug her and kiss her and touch her and smell her all of the things, you know? So I thought, oh, that'd be perfect. And so, and they said, you know, you can meet people. And so I met her parents during counseling and um, they had an older daughter that they had adopted from Korea. And so I was excited that she would have an older sister, just like I did. I didn't want her to be an only child. And so um, 
So we made this decision and I wanted her mom to be in the room with me when she was born so she could have that experience because like I, you said earlier, I love all people and I genuinely cared about this woman and I genuinely thought like how sad it would be to not be able to birth your own child. And so I thought, what a great opportunity it'll be for her to be able to be in the room when her child's born. So I really cared about her a lot and I wanted to give her a great experience that she wouldn't have had otherwise. So we just, we talked a few times before she was born and we, I, uh, we would kind of went back and forth and um, they lived close. They only lived like 15 minutes from me. So she uh, was born on October 10th of 1992. She was so beautiful. It was just so amazing when she was born and her mom was in the room with me. So she was able to, you know, I did hold her first um, and I didn't want to let her go, but I did, you know, let her, her mom hold her after I did. So she was the second person um, to hold her. And my mom was in the room with me also. So I, I just knew that I had to do what was best for her. And I think the hardest part about it today, cause she's 30 years old now. I think the hardest part about the whole thing is that I now know that the best thing for her was me the whole time. And, um, and so that's what's so hard about it, but I really did love her family and I loved her sister. And so during her growing up, okay. So like when we left the hospital, we did this, I went through Catholic social services. And so we did this adoption ritual thing. I don't know how long they did this or if they did it in every state or if it was, I'm not really sure, but where I, you know, we did this back and forth thing in the hospital room where I said, basically was blessing them with her and, and entrusting them to her. And it was this, you know, they kind of told me what to say. And I said it and then they, you know, said back to me, like, we promise that we'll love your child. And um, I just remember it being really emotional. And um, I was so in love with this baby. Um, like, even when the whole time I was pregnant with her, the whole time I went to counseling and some of the counselors told us that a lot of times when a birth mother knows that she's going to place her child for adoption, that she'll disconnect from the child or she won't. And that, ne that never happened. Like I sang to her, I played with her, my hands were on my stomach all the time. And I would listen to music with her. I would talk to her like we were best buds. I didn't know if I was having a boy or a girl at the time, but, and then, and I wrote a note, I wrote her notes. I have a notebook that I wrote to her the whole pregnancy, just talking to her, telling her about me and my family, telling her about her birth father and his family. And, um, cause I just, you just don't know, you don't know what it's going to look like, you know? So, um, but anyway, I was in love with her. I kept her in the room with me. They were so awesome at the hospital that I had her in. I told them I wanted her to stay with me and they let her and there was um, papers that I, I, I somehow they've gotten misplaced or I don't know if it was on purpose or on accident, but um, there were papers that said um, when the nurses would come in to check on, you know, you and the baby in the middle of the night, um, baby sleeping in mother's arms. And that was always like so precious to me because she, I was being referred to as her mom and, um, and I just loved that. And I don't know, I have to find those papers. I often wonder if I can like get a hold of the hospital and have them 
like re I don't know, send them back to me or something. But anyway, um, but she stayed in the hospital room with me the whole time. And um, I did never want her to leave. And she was going to have to go. We found out she was going to have to go to a foster home at one point um, because they weren't foster parents. They were adoptive parents. I don't know. It was so confusing. And I did not know that was going to happen. And I put my foot down and said, no way. They brought these people into the hospital room to meet me, to say that she was going to be at their house for a couple of days at the most, a couple of weeks, maybe a month so that her parents could go through the adoption process and be adopt foster parents before. I don't know. It was confusing, but um, I just said, no, that's not happening. She's our daughter. She's no one else's daughter and she's going home with me or she's going home with them. And that's it. Like, and so somehow, some way they made that happen. And I know that had to have been so frightening for her mom because there was a possibility that she was going to have to go home with me. And they knew she came home with me. She wasn't going to go anywhere else. I'm sure they knew that, even though I was very confident that I would just take really good care of her for a few days. Um, I was getting so excited when they were saying she might have to come home with me for a few days, quietly excited. I didn't want them to know I was excited because I wanted them to know that, you know, I was going to do, I was going to follow through with my word. When we left the hospital, after we did our little ritual, um, I went to their house. My mom drove me in my car and we followed them back to their house. And I just remember, I'll never forget leaving the hospital and they let me, they let me wheel her out in a wheelchair, you know, like you normally do with your own birth child. And um, I got to hold her all the way out the door. And then we got outside and I had to hand her to them mm-hmm. and they oh, had to put her in the car. And then I had to get in a different car. Mm-hmm. And I just remember driving to their house. And I remember just feeling like the whole world was different. Like nothing made sense to me. I remember thinking like, why is the tree called a tree? Just nothing made sense. And so we got to their house and I, you know, stayed there for the, you know, for a few hours to settle her in her home, which was so sweet of her parents to allow me to do that. And, um, and I went over there every day for probably the first week or so for a few hours and then it, you know, slowly started changing. Um, I couldn't live at my house with my parents, which is where I was because they didn't understand why I was crying all the time. Like they didn't understand. They're like, she's with a good family. She's got a great mom. She's got a great dad. She's got a sister. They're good people. Like, why are you crying all the time? And I just remember thinking, (laughs) and I love my mom, but I just remember thinking, you've given birth to seven kids. How can that be confusing for you? Like, right. And so I couldn't live there. I just couldn't live there. I, it was too, I mean, I would feel her kicking in my stomach and I would jump, like I'd get so excited. And then I'd realize she wasn't there. I mean, it's just horrible. And so um, I ended up moving in with a friend and um, it's the strangest story, but the friend that I moved in with was my best friend from high school who is now her daughter is married to my son. I have such, oh, wow. you know, so her jo- her, my best friend's daughter is now my daughter-in-law. Um, we share a grandbaby together. 
but anyway, the friend that I moved in with, um, I ended up meeting my husband through the guy she was dating at the time. And so I, I met my husband right after Anna was born. And um, he was just the greatest friend to me. And he would just sit and listen to me cry and talk about Anna um, over and over and over again for hours and hours and hours. And he would just sit with me and he was so good to me. And um, I was not interested in dating anyone or being with any man at the time. But ultimately, we ended up dating and uh, three years later got married and um, have been married now for it'll be 28 years this this coming July. So that's kind of how it all started. I think I just kind of kept going through the whole story. But um, our relationship over the years, they invited me to every important event at her house um, or that she would have kindergarten, graduation, first confirmation, all the things. Um, I would go to all of her birthday parties. Um, I, she was allowed to come to my house and she would come to my house and play with, you know, my kids and with myself. And, um, you know, I would have her for four or five hours and um eventually she would spend the night and her sister would come with her sometimes and her sister would spend the night and their best friends would come because I've always, kids are my thing. I was a director of a daycare. I had my own daycare for 10 years. Um, and so we were just always very close. And every time um, I would leave or she would leave me, um, I was, I would, at the beginning, I would cry. You know, I wouldn't let anyone know, but I would cry. And when she was really young, I w her mom used to laugh at me because I wouldn't want to leave her house until she started crying. <laughs> so I wanted her mm. to be sad I was leaving. And she was like, get out the door. You don't have to make her cry every time. <laughs> um, but she was, her mom was so good to me. Oh my gosh, Heidi. She was so good to me. And she would call me. And she would say, guess what your daughter did today? And whenever she was my daughter, it was when she was being bad. <laughs> and when I, or she would call me and say, guess what your daughter did today? And it would be, you know, she got an award or something. And so um, she just included me in everything. Like even when she first started walking, when she first started crawling, like all of her first things she would not let anyone tell me that that had happened. She would wait till I was there. And the first time she would take a step when I was there was her first step. I mean, she was so good to me. So good to me. And um, she was such a, an amazing woman and such a beautiful gift. And I don't know. I honestly don't know what happened. I don't, I wish I knew. I wish I had the answers, but um, she turned 18 and I remember having a conversation with her on the phone. And I remember we were talking about how it was. Now, remember, I always shared all of my feelings with her. Right. She didn't really ever share her feelings with me because I was kind of, she would even say sometimes like, I was like her teenage daughter. You know, she, she was, she didn't tell me about what she was going through, or the thoughts going through her head. She was just always there for me. And so I remember around her 18th birthday, it was very emotional for me when she was turning 18. And I remember us having a conversation and I was saying like, I'm so excited because now you and I can be friends and you can like, tell me about you, you know, like 
we don't have to just share Anna anymore. Like we can, I don't have to call you to get permission to see her or whatever. Like we can, you can tell me about who you are and what you were like growing up and what you, you know, whatever. And I don't know if that scared her. I don't know. I don't know. But, um, and I remember saying, and it's going to be really weird because now I don't have to call you to see Anna. You don't have to call me and give me permission to see her anymore. She's going to make these decisions on her own. And I think in hindsight that she was just as afraid of that as I was. And at some point, um, it, I, I'm, this is all just a guess, but I think it became almost like a competition at some point. And it wasn't for me. I've always felt very secure. I mean, Anna and I are so much alike. I mean, it's crazy how much we're alike. Our connection, it, the bond, it's unbreakable. Like we fight, we argue, we don't always get along. We don't always agree, but we work through it. We talk through it. We get mad. We'll hang up on each other. We're, I mean, sometimes we literally act like 15 year olds and, but we, call each other the next day and everything's fine. And it's still that way. And, but I've watched Anna struggle and mm -hmm. she asked, even though her parents know who I am, they've always known that they adopted her from a person that gave birth to her. She literally can't talk about me. She can't say my name. She can't let anybody in, in her family know that I exist that I have a relationship with my granddaughter. I'm not allowed to call my granddaughter, my granddaughter. She's, it's just so, I, I don't understand it. And so poor Anna is right in the middle of all of this. And I, now that Anna's an adult, like when Anna was younger, if I had any sort of negative feeling, or I wish I could see you more, or that really makes me mad that your mom wouldn't let you come over today. I would never say that to her. She was a child. So I kept those feelings to myself. I'd talk to my husband about it. I wouldn't ever share it with her. But once she became like 23 or 24 years old, she was an adult. And I felt like I could share some things with her at that point. Right. And so I don't know. I, but it has just been heartbreaking because, and I was, my husband and I were talking about it last night. Cause I've been ever since I knew we were going to have this interview, I've been so emotional. And, um, my, I was talking to my husband about it last night. Cause he's been there her whole right. life. I mean, he has such a unique like place in this because he's seen it all. Um, but I was talking to him about it last night and, um, I was just telling him that it's just the hardest part of it is like my parents, you know, your, your parents are supposed to love you unconditionally. Like you're always just supposed to know they love you. And I didn't grow up knowing that about my parents. Like I, I had to earn it. I had to earn their love. I had to, that's how I felt. It may not be true, but that's how I felt. And um, still, I still am that way with my mom. And, you know, I did heal some things with my father before he passed away, but she didn't have to love me. And she did. I really thought she did. And now it's like she, she did not She was just, she just wanted what I gave her, I guess. 
I don't know, like Anna, something. It just upsets me so much because Anna is in, I, I want so badly to do the right thing for her. And sometimes I feel like I'm putting her in the middle of things too. When I share my feelings, I feel like I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't share them with her. Um, I don't know. I just, I love her so much and I want what's best for her. And she, she, I asked her that question, you know, if I was, you were going to introduce me to people and that didn't know me, what would you say? And she said, will you answer that for me? What would you say about me? And I said, I don't know how to answer that for you, Anna. I don't, you aren't who you're supposed, you're not, you don't know who you are. She does still doesn't know who she is. Like all of these podcasts that I listen to, um, it's amazing how much she is. She's got to keep me her secret. Like you talked about, you felt like you were having an affair on your family. That's where she's at right now. But they knew. And her, her mom even said to me one time, um, you have role confusion, Jenny, there's role confusion for you. And I said, there's no role confusion for me. And she said, um, you didn't do the work. We did the work. You're not her mother. And I'm like, well, I know, but, and I've always respected that. You know, I've always, I've never, I've always thanked her, always thanked her for how wonderful she has been to Anna and what a great mother she was to her and, and to me. And, um, but she said, um, you know, you're not my peer. You're not just been, I don't know. It's just, it's gotten really nasty, like really, really nasty. And, um, right after my granddaughter was born, it was right around COVID and, um, my sweet, I, I live in Savannah, Georgia, and I went 10 hours home as soon as I found out Anna was in labor, but we knew I wasn't going to be able to be in the room with her when she had the baby, because there was only one person allowed in there. It was at the time she had her in April. So it was at the time where whoever went into the hospital wasn't even allowed to leave. They had to stay there the whole time. And so, um, my granddaughter came home and um, Anna told me before I went there that she didn't care if I wore a mask or not. You know, like you can come in, you don't have to wear Cause I asked her, do you want me to wear a mask? I'll wear a mask. She said, no, you don't have to wear a mask. It's fine. Well, anyway, it was really important to her mom that I wore a mask, but it wasn't her mom's baby. It was her mom's granddaughter. So if my daughter said, you don't have to wear a mask, I wasn't going to wear one. I was going to be at her house for however many days. So, um, she lost it. I mean, she lost it on me, was screaming at me threw something at me when I was holding the baby, like through like something like at my feet on the ground, um, while I was holding a brand new baby that just came home from the hospital and she's screaming. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be the mature adult here. I'm not going to scream and yell. You don't need to be disrespectful to me. I'm holding our granddaughter right now. So, you know, you don't need to act like that. Um, it was just very, it was just very strange, but, um, and it's just continued to get worse and worse. And, mm-hmm. um, so there was, you know, talk about there being, um, role confusion and that this, this wasn't my granddaughter. And I just, and I remember getting to the place where I started to get bitter myself mm-hmm. about it. 
because I love that woman. I love her. And, and so it just makes it so hard for me because I'm so hurt. Like I'm so incredibly hurt by some of the decisions and choices and things that she has done and said and what she has put, I mean, Anna through, I mean, yeah, it's so, it's so heartbreaking, Jenny, as, as I'm listening to this, because, you know, I think a lot of mothers that relinquish their babies, the one little carrot they can have is maybe that open adoption. I've never heard a story like yours where it was so integrated mm-hmm. and then retracted so suddenly. Mm-hmm. And so all these bonds are built and then they just dissolve and the confusion for everyone, in particular, your daughter, and that, you know, she's having to do this whole trying to choose between people she loves. It's just, oh my gosh, it's just, I'm so sorry that that's happening. And what do you think should have been done differently? Or like, if you look back on that, is there any, any wisdom like that you can partake? And I know you're still working through it, but if you're talking to other mothers who are relinquishing mm-hmm. and, and they think that open adoption is, you know, hmm, I'm sure mm-hmm. it's different in every case, but I, I don't yes. know. What do you have to say to that? Um, I, I would say, honestly, I mean, I think that her mom was an amazing woman. I think there is so much deep, incredible pain that Mm -hmm. she carries from not being able to carry her own child that was never dealt with. And um, maybe some decisions she made that she's carrying shame and guilt around for um, that she just never sought healing for. And I think that she's has taken that out on, she's has tried to make Anna become who she wanted Anna to be, um, to be just like her to be this person she wants her to be. I mean, at 30 years old, she will still tell Anna to re-say a sentence, like follow after me and listen to this and do what I say. And the thing is, is in closed adoptions, the birth mother would never know about these things. And so I have this very strange kind of seat in this relationship um, because Anna and I are so close and she has told me, I can tell you anything. I know that I can tell you anything and I do tell you anything, but then I get mad at you when you have a reaction to it because Mm -hmm. it does, does put her in a strange place because I don't want anyone treating her that way. I don't want anyone talking to her that way. And it's very, 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 very unhealthy. Their relationship is extremely unhealthy and it doesn't need to be that way. Like, Honestly, if I could say anything, if I could say anything, if her mom was listening to this podcast and I could say anything to her, I would say you are Anna's mom. You are. I will never. Anna loves her so much. And the only thing she wants, the only thing Anna wants is to be able to love both of her moms and have both of her moms love her back. And the same for her granddaughter, for our granddaughter, for her daughter. And she's getting ready to have a son in April. We're going to have two Mm -hmm. grandbabies. I just want her to know, like, she did a fantastic job 
you know, when Anna was growing up and she was a wonderful mother to her. And I know she knows that, but she should. I, I just wish that she trusted herself more. She trusted what she did more. And um, there is no role confusion on my end. Like I know that I am her birth mother. I know I did not raise her. I don't, I've never claimed to raise her. But the one thing I've, I have never introduced Anna to anyone as my birth daughter. This is my daughter, Anna. I've mm -hmm. always, she was born. This is my daughter. I've always been introduced as her birth mother. And Anna has always called me Jenny. She does not call me mom. Um, she never has ever. When she's talking to my son, sometimes like she'll say, go ask mom. Mm -hmm. When she's talking to boys and I love it. Like I try to like make things happen. <laughs> <you're saying. laughs> I even told her one time, I don't know how old she was, but I was like, you're 28 years old now. You're not allowed to call me Jenny anymore. You call me mom. <laughs> and she won't do it because she still feels that the guilt she feels that guilt. She knows that it would break her mom's heart if she did. Exactly. That. And she should not have to feel that way. No, Jenny, I think, you know, you pointed out so many things. I just want to highlight first and foremost, good on you to understand that trauma is rampant in this. When you have a mother who can't have her own children, that is a devastating thing. And if you haven't worked through all of that, and then you're confronted daily with the woman that could, mm -hmm. and just the dynamics of all of that and not having the proper help and navigation to get through these very complicated situations, and then it just implodes and then creates this, this horrible dichotomy of having to choose. And the fact of the matter is when you adopt a child, and I'm, I say this on repeat, that child comes with two sets of families. Mm -hmm. It That's just our reality. And to, like you said, you both were her mother mm -hmm. in a different capacity, but mm -hmm. that's how it turned out. That's the history and see, that's the, the most painful and heartbreaking thing, especially for adopted people, is you just don't know what to do with all those emotions. And then to see everyone that you care about in pain, it's, it's just there has to be a better way of going about this. And, you know, if we can go, go back, like I think about what you were talking about at the hospital and when you were driving in the car in that separation, and one of the things you said is that you know now what would have been best for her is you. Yes. You know, we're learning so much. I mean, there was so much judgment on a single mother or if you didn't have this or that. But my goodness, the science and everything is telling us that trying to preserve that family, that first, that first bond should be priority one. Let's mm -hmm. look and see if we can do that first. And then if not, okay, now we start looking at different options, but even those need to be more humane and more thoughtful. I mean, I could just go off on a tear about all of it because I think there's just so much unnecessary pain in this. And the unique situation you have with your open adoption, I have never heard of anything like 
I, I had one podcast guest. I remember she told me she had this quote, open adoption. And she said she went to the park to see her daughter. And it was so strange because it was like she was watching a movie mm-hmm. and, and she didn't know how to fit into that. And I was like, oh gosh, I can't even imagine what that felt like. Like, oh, so I'm just so sorry that you guys are still entangled in this. And what do you, what do you think like you can say to adopted people out there that are going through something similar to your daughter where they are torn and believe me, a lot of us are, Mm -hmm. what, what can you say to them, Jenny? Um, I think that the one thing that I would say is I think it's just really important for you to, um, have those conversations with, with your parents, whether it's your birth family or your adoptive family to be able to communicate what you feel like you're going through and to explain, like, I mean, I, I think for Anna, I don't know that her mom would even listen. You yeah. Know? That's the problem. I don't know. Like, I think the main thing is that the, it to just be true to yourself and like, find out who you are, like f- figure out whatever it is that you need, like trust and believe that. And, and don't wait, don't keep waiting. Don't mm. keep waiting to figure it out. Like dig deep. It's going to hurt, but it's going to be so good for you to do with it. Um, you deserve that. Like you're a unique person that you don't belong to anyone. You don't oh. belong to you. No, you don't owe your birth mother, anything, your birth father, you don't owe your adoptive mother, your adoptive father, anything. You have a place here on this earth. You deserve to be here. You have unique qualities and, and, and values, things about you that are extremely valuable. And the world needs to have you in your unique place. So don't stay hidden under a rock or not do the healing that you need to do to, to be yourself and trust, trust your gut, trust your heart. And when you don't want to talk to anybody or do anything, just don't, Mm -hmm. you know, the only, I mean, I, I'm a strong believer in the Lord and we, we all belong to him we don't belong to anybody. Like I'm lucky and I have been blessed in so many ways that the Lord has given me all of these amazing children to be part of their lives. But my, my place is to laugh with them and to have fun with them and to teach them about things and to enjoy life and to give them different experiences and circumstances so that they can figure out, Oh, I like music. I'll become a musician. Oh, I think I'm going to be a dancer. Like it's like, let's figure out what, what is it that you want to do? Who are you? So this, Mm -hmm. you know, give our, our children different experiences so they can figure out, who they are. It isn't about me saying, okay, well, I mean, I grew up, I loved soccer. And then I had four sons. I was like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to be a sports <laughs> mom. None of my kids wanted to play sports. They all wanted to draw, play music, all the things I knew nothing about. That, that's so, that's so awesome. And we all deserve and need to hear that. And I think what's so, one of the visualizations that came to mind for me is, you're in a cage 
Like as an adoptee, you feel like you're in this cage of guilt, shame, obligation, uh, pleasing, and and the door's open and you're on that stupid little stick, Mm -hmm. like swinging back and forth. Mm -hmm. You want to fly out, but man, it's so scary to go out into all of that, like that air and that space where you just could free fall at any moment. And the price is so high that so many of us have to pay to try to find our individuality. We often have to lose relationships, but the point is, and I think, um, and I'm, I'm not an expert, but it feels to me that your truth is, is so important. Absolutely. To find and to find what, what matters to, to you. And it's really difficult when you've been conditioned and raised to try to do rewiring. You know, right now we're trying to rewire my brain at 57. Let me tell you, it ain't going so well. Like (laughs) it's hard. And so it is a lot of hard work, but I think in community and by talking openly and honestly about these things, Jenny, and thank you so much for sharing all of your intimate experiences. And I think it would be incredible to come back and talk to you again to see if maybe some healing or some shifting could take place in this situation. It sounds like it's, it's pretty tough right now. Mm-hmm. And for those parents, you know, as we start to wrap up the interview, for those parents who are adopting, I know they get a lot of heat from, from all of us and a lot of it <laughs> makes sense, but I feel that it's an opportunity to, to speak to them about, what do you think they need to know? And and not to put them on the defensive, but if they're listening and they want to do the very best for this child, what does that look like, Jenny? Um, I could go in a couple of different directions with that answer, but we're just going to go with they're going to adopt a child. And there's no, I mean, I would say for people that want to adopt a child to, there are lots of children who've been in foster care for a really long time that would, that need a family. And those are the people that you should try to adopt because I never am a whole different part of my story, which I won't go into right now, but I never had any intention of ever adopting anyone. And I'm in my husband and I are in the middle of adopting a 16 year old boy right now. And I think the adoption will be final in um, January or February. And, um, we, we weren't looking for that. God gave that to us and we've taken it and he's fantastic, but he's been in foster care since he was three years old, but lucky for him, he has a birth mother as his mother. And so he's going to know everything about his family that we can find. We mm. he will know it all. I showed him his birth certificate one day and he, didn't even know how to react. He had no, he had no idea what time he was born. And I was celebrating the time that he was born. And he's like, mom, you are so weird. I'm like, I know (laughs) you're going to get this someday. You're 16. Just wait. (laughs) Yeah. So, but, um, but yes. So I think, um, that first of all, that's what I would say is, um, if you want to, I, I just, I think that, uh, birth mothers that are, uh, having their children, like people need to help them be parents yes. children. Um, you know, if we would have known now what, what, you know, 30 years ago when Anna was born, like her parents could have, um, provided some help 
for me so that I could raise her myself instead of, I don't know, it could have gone, you know, it, Exactly. But see, everybody's, yeah, everybody's trauma gets mixed up and, and then the child just becomes this, this pawn. And I think that's a really hard thing for adopted people to reconcile with. It's like, it, it really wasn't about me specifically. <laughs> it was about right. this, this baby, you know, cause you're told you're chosen. Are, are you really, there's some really complicated and dynamic um, psychological stuff going on for sure. But I, I even said, I, I was actually the one who chose. I was the one mm-hmm. that made the decision. Right. I was the one, Anna wasn't chosen by her parents. Her parents actually right. chose me and I chose them. We didn't right. even knew who she was yet. We didn't even know if she was a boy or a girl. When <laughs> right. I was a so, and trust me, I would have, I would have chosen her out of a million people. Oh, of course. But, of course. But, uh, you know, we didn't really, I mean, that's so true. Like no one, like, you, yeah, you're special, but all of my kids are special. <laughs> They're right. And I, well, and I think that's some of the terminology and the confusing language that gets into mm-hmm. an adopted person's head. And we're like, whoa, <laughs> how do we mm-hmm. sort all of this out? And, you know, Jenny, I know a lot of this has had to be really painful. And I just thank you for the emotional energy that you gave. And I also want to, of course, say thank you again for all of the loving messages that were so perfectly timed during this um, this health odyssey that I've been on. And I do believe we have the capacity to help each other heal through all sorts of things. And I know that this podcast is going to mean a lot to a lot of people. Is there anything before we go that we didn't hit on that you want to say or wrap it up in any special way that, you know, I didn't ask a question you wanted me to ask anything like that? Really, I think uh, one thing I would love to say is that I just think that our uh, very unique uh, adoption story, I guess, could it just it could have looked very differently. You know, it really could have because, like I said, her birth father is also part of her life and has been since she was five. Um, even before that, um, he and I would get together and take photos together so that we could give them to her. Um he and I get along great. We still, you know, to do to this day, we have pictures of, um, you know, at our granddaughter's uh, birthday party together, you know, Anna and her daughter and him and I is of, you know, a little family or whatever picture, um, birth family picture. But, um, I think that, you know, I think it would be really cool if he would do a podcast with you and give you his experience. Oh my gosh, Jenny, that would be so awesome because we just don't have enough of of that going on. Mm-hmm. We really need to really get all sides telling their stories because that's where perspective changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool to do that. I think and that's Anna, brilliant. Yeah, and I think one day Anna will Anna would do it too. I think that she she would certainly come on probably with me. But um, well, the welcome mat is out, Jenny, and and I just thank you so much for this time together. Absolutely. Thank you. And I just, you know, the one thing I would, I would end with is just that I do wish that all parts of the adoption family would just be better educated. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's one thing I know. Uh, Amen. Wesley Pate. Oh, so I forget long last name. Um, was, McKinnon, you know, yeah. About that. And I a hundred percent agree with that. So, but I think that if I were just to end the one thing that I would end with is just telling Anna that, that I, absolutely love her more Mm -hmm. than anything in this entire world. And 
I am the mother I am today to all of my other children because I never wanted her to do anything but be proud of who I am. And um, that is that was the that is what I've done with my life. She also doesn't want to not have her mom. And that's what she's always said. She's like, I don't want to I don't want to not have my mom. I I love my mom. I want my mom. So you shouldn't have to choose. (laughs) Right. Right. So anyway, um, I just thank you a, a million times over for your your podcast. I can't I would love to know how many how many, many, many people it has helped healing that have never reached out or you just don't even know about. So I just can't thank you enough for what you're doing. And oh, I will thank you, continue Jenny. to pray for you, for your heart in in every thank real you. way. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Jenny. It's just been lovely to be with you. Mm -hmm.